This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Austin Life. I'm Mike Mobley, one of the pastors here. Hope you had a great Easter weekend last week, um, finding even more things to do inside your house during this time. Hopefully you were able to celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen, whether that was with your stir-crazy family or by yourself or with one of your roommates or on FaceTime or Zoom or Google Meet, all the different things that are happening uh, right now. We, we are in such a crazy season that we've never experienced. And I don't know about you, but it kind of feels like we're starting to develop maybe a new rhythm of what a new normal can look like for all of us. Um, it's hard though, it's hard to plan for that because we don't know if we're talking about the next month or a few months or the rest of the year or even longer. Uh, last week we launched the Hope is Alive initiative. Uh, you can find that at austinlifechurch.com hope. And our goal with that is to share that hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And so if you or if someone you know needs encouragement, if they have a need, it could be financial, it could be like a grocery store pickup, it can be whatever, no need is too small or too big. Or if they just need hope, prayer, anything at all, would you please go to austinlifechurch.com hope and fill out the form we have there and we would love to help to spread the fact that hope is alive because Jesus is alive. We've been in a series covering the book of Acts, walking all the way through the events such as Jesus ascending into heaven, the church kind of getting started, the Holy Spirit coming upon believers as Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came, the church starting to spread throughout the areas, uh, the gospel starting to spread. Corey, We were left off around chapter 15 a couple weeks ago, so we're going to be picking up uh, in chapter 16 today. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be mainly in verses 11 through 40 uh, this morning. So Acts 16, 11 through 40. Now, coming up to this point, we see that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are making their way through cities. They're starting and strengthening the churches in the faith. And so that we see they were increasing in numbers daily. And on their journey, we see the beginning of chapter 16, we learn as they were going through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, God was shutting the door at that time for them to speak the word in Asia. So then they go from there and they go up to Mysia and they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the spirit did not allow them. God was clearly shutting the door there as well. And then what we see at the beginning of chapter 16, a vision appears. It's a man from Macedonia, and he was urging them to come and help. Paul immediately afterwards make the decision to go to Macedonia, believing God was obviously opening that door. He was closing these other doors. Clearly, here's a vision from the Lord. Let's go. And so let's read here in Acts 16, starting in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas... We made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, 
in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, if you're anything like me, when you start reading passages like this, you kind of get lost with all the different city names. We don't normally say words like uh, Bithynia with uh, Samothrace, Neapolis. These are just not really common cities that we know. And so sometimes this kind of starts becoming a blur to me. And frankly, if I was really honest, sometimes I start reading it and it's like, okay, blah, 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 the different cities, we traveled there, we get it. Let's get to the next part, let's skip that. But there's something really important about the passage that we're going through today. There's something really important here about 11 through 40. This is when the gospel and the church start spreading in Europe, meaning this is when it starts impacting our Western culture, which that means this gets its way all the way to us today as Americans. If this didn't take place, we don't know if the gospel would have spread. We don't know if we'd be here today as followers of Jesus. So this is a huge occasion in human history. This is a very, very big deal. Philippi, which kind of spoiler alert, that's the church that ends up getting formed in the book of Philippians. That's the letter we see later in the New Testament that Paul writes and sends back to that church. It's a Roman colony in a leading city of the district. The people here, they prided themselves that they were a Roman colony. And the reason that the men went to the riverside is because at that time the law stated you had to have at least 10 Jewish males in order to have a synagogue. But if you didn't have at least 10 Jewish males, the law stated that you'd have to go meet by the river for a prayer meeting which is why they kind of start their journey at the riverside. They're trying to find a place of prayer. So verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Okay, so it's important to note a few different things here. Lydia was at the prayer meeting, right? We have this woman named Lydia. The Bible says she was a worshiper of God. But just like we learned from Cornelius earlier in this series, she wasn't a follower of Jesus. She was doing godly things, right? She was at the riverside. She was praying with these women. She was not yet a follower of Jesus. We have to remember it's one thing for us to just believe that there's a God out there, but it's a whole nother thing to actually be a follower of Jesus. She was wealthy. She was a businesswoman, and God opened her heart to pay attention to what they were telling her. God prepares people's hearts and minds to be receptive and say yes to the gospel. Likewise, God prepares us to share the gospel at the same time. It's God who does the work. It's not our careful 
planning or strategies. And yes, those are important. We should plan, right? It's important to do that. But we have to remember, ultimately, God is the one who does the saving, not us. He is the one at work, and he invites us into his story, into his redemptive work to play a part. So verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Okay, so now we have this slave girl, right? She's a fortune teller. She seems to be possessed. Her owners are taking advantage of her and as well as the people because they're making money off of her. She joins in proclaiming with them. This can be confusing at first when we first read it. She joins in proclaiming with the men. She seems to actually be on the same team, right? She's agreeing. She's proclaiming these men are the servants of the Most High God. But the evil spirit is using her. The enemy can recognize the power of Jesus. But this was an evil attempt to align herself with Paul and the others to eventually derail the whole thing that was going on. We have a real enemy who either wants to straight up attack us, and sometimes it's obvious with how he attacks us, or more commonly, he agrees with us. He aligns himself with us only in order to deceive us and derail us from actually following the Lord. Now, it says Paul gets annoyed in this context. This isn't annoyed like we think today, like getting annoyed from like a telemarketer or someone who hates bacon, right? They're really annoying. But that's not what this means. Rather, Paul was deeply troubled. He knew the danger of allowing something like this to continue. So then he turns to her and commands the evil spirit to come out of her. The enemy falls under the submission and the authority of the name of Jesus, right? All evil spirits, demons, Satan himself falls at the name of Jesus. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk today in freedom and with power to rebuke anything, any kind of evil in our lives. We have him who is greater than he who is in the world. We've got to believe and have faith. God has power over everything, including anything that's evil. Verse 19, we're going to continue on. But when her owners, right, so the slave girl, her owners, saw that her hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, right, those are the judges, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. 
ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So think about this for a second. Because these men were obedient to what God was saying, and because of God's rescue, that brings, I, don't, I can't even imagine what kind of relief to this slave girl who's been possessed, right? She immediately feels relief and she's blessed. What happens? Immediately after they were obedient, they get punished, beaten, and thrown into prison. Immediately after they're obedient to the Lord. Can you imagine this feeling? Just put yourself in their shoes. You knew God was calling you to do something. It was really difficult to do, right? You actually follow through in obedience, and then you do it. And then you get punished, beaten with rods, and thrown into prison. This is where the enemy comes in. And this is where the enemy starts whispering things like, Hey, if God loves you, well then, why did he allow this to happen to you? Look at the issues you're facing now. Are you sure it was God telling you to do this? Satan loves to question God's word and his love for us. Now, we may not always know exactly what God is doing. And in fact, I think most of the time in our present moment, we don't know. But how many times can we look back in our lives and see a little bit more clearly what God was doing through maybe one of our trials or circumstances? God doesn't waste anything, and there's real value and purpose to your life. The same God who has sent his one and only son for you and for me is the same God who is leading us through the circumstances we find ourselves in today through the trials we find ourselves in today. Even through our obedience to the Lord, we can find ourselves through tough seasons. And God is not going to waste that. He's still at work through that. So what happens to the men here? So verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Okay, so we're going to stop there for a second. So earthquakes were common during this time, and we're not going to overlook the fact here. It is amazing. It's incredible. It's a miracle that God uses an earthquake, right, to open all the doors and unfasten Paul and Silas. Let's not overlook that here, okay? That's incredible. Something else actually stands out to me in this, though, that I think is pretty amazing. What were the men doing? You're punished, you're beaten, you're thrown into prison. So that night, what are you going to choose to do around midnight or so? They're praying and singing hymns. Now, I don't know about you, if I'm punished, beaten, and thrown into prison, I, I don't, maybe, I don't see myself being in prison and thinking, you know what, a good song right now. Hey, hey buddy, come on, let's join in. It's midnight, let's get everyone singing together. Like, I, 
I'm not thinking that. I'm probably going to be pretty down, and I'm probably going to be questioning, well, did the Lord call me to do this? I'm in prison. Paul talks about in Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in wicked spirits in high places. I think their eyes were off of themselves and their circumstance, and their eyes were fixed on the Lord with them knowing as they were being persecuted, God was being glorified. And their natural response to this was worship. They had their eyes fixed on things set above, on things eternal, not things of this world. They, they worshiped. I, I, I don't know if I'm always going to respond in worship. But I think the reasons I, I think why I wouldn't is because I would be fixed on things of this world. I'd be wondering, uh, am I ever going to get out of prison? Right? Am I ever going to maybe eat again? Maybe eat bacon again? I'm going to be, I'm just going to be more worried about my circumstances than thinking naturally, okay, what is God doing in this? They saw the progress of what God was already doing in Philippi, right? They knew the suffering along the way was part of following Jesus in maturity, kind of growing in maturity. Jesus himself went through that, and he told us we're going to go through things like that as well. I don't think we're all necessarily going to get beaten and thrown into prison, but we will face trials and hard seasons along the way, and we're going to have a choice in that moment to respond in bitterness or anger or selfishness or we could respond in worship. Now imagine if we responded in worship during these times in our lives, how powerful it would be to those around us. It would demand an explanation. People would look at us and go, okay, you're either crazy or there's something here. That's how they looked at Jesus. People either consider Jesus a lunatic, right? Maybe a liar or, or, Lord, it demands an explanation. Verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds as he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Okay, so it's going to be hard for us to personally put ourselves in place of this jailer. But the shame he experienced thinking that the prisoners escaped it was so great, he was actually going to kill himself. But not only did Paul and others sing and pray, right, around midnight, but when they were released, they didn't immediately run out of the jail. 
Again, I think I would have made a beeline to the door and been like, peace out, I'm leaving. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. This is an amazing moment. The jailer who is so shamed to the point of killing himself has no response to this other than, what must I do to be saved? It was a natural response for them, for Paul and Silas and the others, to respond in worship, to stay put and remember more, okay, what is the Lord doing? And it demanded an explanation. So the jailer says, all right, all right, okay, after everything I've seen now, I'm in, what must I do to be saved? Times of crisis or even near-death moments, they make us think of eternal things. Now, we may not really call them eternal things, but they force us to think of the bigger things in life. That's why even right now with COVID-19 going on, more people than ever are at least looking into the Bible and thinking about the things of God more than they typically would. So Paul and Silas, they answer the jailer. They say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe. That's it. That's it. The jailer has the opportunity to believe right then and there. Listen, Christianity is not about what you do. It's about what's been done. It's not earning your salvation, but receiving salvation that's already been earned for you. Every other belief, faith, religion, whatever you want to call it, is all about Here's what you must do to obtain blank. Christianity is the only one that's ever exists in the entire world that's about it's been done for you. The jailer believed that night. He was rescued that night. His household heard the message of the gospel and they believed as well. And then what does the jailer do? One of his first acts is to wash the wounds of Paul and Silas. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus washes us clean and we can turn towards others and help them. This is the church forming in Philippi. The church taking on each other's burdens and problems and rejoicing together. Verse 35 is kind of wrap things up. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. 
So the magistrates heard that these men were actually Roman citizens, and rightfully so, became very afraid about that, and they ended up actually apologizing to them. But they wanted to do it in secret. They kind of wanted a hush-hush moment and then just to kind of like escape out of the area. Paul immediately rebukes them and says, no. We did all this other stuff publicly, right? You beat us publicly. You threw us into prison in front of everyone. No, you're coming out. We're doing this in front of everyone. The reason he does that is Paul sees this as an opportunity for the church, for there to be a public vindication, if you will, right? For things not to happen in secret, because his goal was building the church's reputation for the future. As they leave, they see Lydia and others within the church plant that's starting there now. They encourage them, build them up, equip them, and move on to the next area God calls them to. A businesswoman who comes to Jesus through public proclamation. A poor slave fortune teller girl who comes to Jesus through an evil spirit being taken out of her. And a jailer who doesn't seem to care about God, who comes to Jesus through powerful examples and miracles. This is the church plant in Philippi. A businesswoman, a slave girl, and a jailer. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're starting anything, uh, you're starting you know, a business, a church, just any kind of a startup, and you're picking your first three people, a businesswoman, maybe, a slave girl, and a jailer. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your age, your education, your ethnicity, your upbringing, or your mistakes. Everyone's included at Jesus's table. If you're a Christian today, praise God, Jesus has rescued you and be encouraged to remain obedient to following him. We can easily see today that it's, it's God ultimately doing the work. Sometimes we forget that, right? The burden is not on our shoulders. We're freed up in the Lord. And at the same time, the call towards obedience and spreading the gospel to others is real. And we've got to take that seriously, especially in a season such as this. Now, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus today, but praise God you're here and you're watching this or listening to this. I believe it's not a mistake that you're here, and God has you here for a very specific reason. The invitation for you is to believe. That's it. It's to believe. Just like the jailer who believed, it's belief in Jesus. Belief that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again. We heard Chris talk about that a little bit earlier. It's belief. Last week, we put together, uh, we put a prayer on the screen, and honestly, I want to I do it again. I want to put that up on the screen. Maybe, maybe you need to pray through this prayer as a way of encouragement for you to remember who you are and who you belong to. Maybe it's a prayer 
that you can pray today for the very first time in your life. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus starting right now and forever. The gospel was spreading to those in Philippi, and the gospel is still spreading today to us in Austin and other cities, our country, and the world. It's still spreading. It's still happening. Churches are still starting. May we be a people who truly experience life in Jesus and lead others to get a chance to experience him as well. Now let's take some time now to pray and I'll wrap us up after that. God, you're so good to us. We need you. Every hour, we need you. Jesus, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for the cross. We're so incredibly thankful that everyone's included at your table, that you desire a relationship that all of us would repent and turn towards you and not perish. Jesus, we're thankful in times of trials and hard seasons that we can still have hope and we that you're with us, that you'll pull us through where we are and you have a purpose. You know why things are going on the way that they are. You see the big picture and we don't. And so we humble ourselves under your, your leadership and your guidance and your care for us. I pray that for any believer right now, God, they would be encouraged and spurred on to love and good works for your name and for your honor, God. And I pray for anyone who does not follow you, Jesus, right now, that they choose to believe right now in this moment that they can feel the weight melt off of their shoulders and the forgiveness of all of their past, present, and future sins happen like that. God, thank you that you do the rescuing. Thank you that you allow us to play a part in your story of what you're doing in Austin and all around the world. Thank you that just we have the privilege to be here and to get to honor you and glorify you. Jesus, it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.